Good morning. Uh, my name is Kelly Williams, and our scripture reading today is found in Mark 6, 6b-46. So let us stand for the reading of God's word. Beginning with Mark 6, 6b, this is what we read. Jesus went around teaching from village to village. Calling the twelve to him, he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. Later, this is what transpired when the disciples came to report back to Jesus as we turn to Mark 6.30. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. After the report about Jesus feeding thousands of people, this is what we read in Mark 6, 45-46. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. May you be seated. I have some flowers up here. I think these are for you, Tom. Yeah, you're welcome. They're nice. I would guess all of us have heard the Aesop's fable of the tortoise and the hare. Do you, do you see a picture of that up there, I think? Do we have a tortoise and hare picture down there, Zach? All right. I want you to see this. All right. Maybe not. You see, even without a picture, you know the story, right? I, I knew you'd let me know. I knew you'd let me know. Now, that, the hare as you know, was fast, but he was easily distracted. The tortoise was slow, but unshakably disciplined. And at the end, you see it there, the, the tortoise won. I wanted to put the flags on there so you could see it. Now, you know that that story is a fable. And yet, as an Aesop's fable, it, it's to teach us a lesson. And a part of the lesson is that the quickest solution isn't always the one that lasts the longest. And that that sometimes in life, the more haste we get into, the less speed. 
Now, I don't know if Jesus ever heard Aesop's fable of the tortoise and the hare, do you? But I am so sure that he would have been in agreement with the lesson. I think he understood the lesson of the tortoise so well. And that brings us today, believe it or not, to Mark chapter 6. And it's the last message we're going to have in a little while in the Gospel of Mark. Do you remember what I've called this series? This too shall be made right. Because Jesus, when he came, the Bible lets us know, came with a, to enter into a race. But the goal that he had in, ahead of him was one enormous goal. Because Mark chapter 1 verse 1 tells us that Jesus was God's Messiah. And as the Messiah, his goal was really to change the world. That's all. <laughs> and a part of that changing of the world meant that he had to change you and me. He's going to change our lives. But the Bible says that's not all he's going to change. He's going to change us into becoming what God created us to be. Because we're not there yet. But he says he's going to change everything. And by the end of Jesus' race, everything's going to be right. Everything in this universe is going to reflect the goodness and, and righteousness of the God who made it. It will glorify God. It will show us what he's like. So, so in this big race that, that Jesus has, he has two big parts. He's got to change human lives. And he's also going to do something to change all of the rest of creation. Now, I'll tell you my thought. I think the harder task is to change us. What do you think? Changing human life. I mean, I think if Jesus were to take apart all the atoms one by one and they, then reconstitute them by their constituent elements, I mean, materially, it wouldn't be as hard as it is to change you and me. Just seeing if anybody's nodding or even knowing what I'm talking about. Because the things that aren't right about us, they go deep. They go all the way back to the beginning, to Genesis chapter 3, where people put ourselves into God's place. So I'll tell you what's wrong with you and me. Any of you ever look at yourself and say there's still some things not quite right? You want to vote? What's wrong with you and me isn't just like on the surface of us. It isn't like rust on a car, and I need a new illustration for California, I know, because in Chicago we had all that salt on the road when the snow and the ice was there, and so the cars got rusted. So you had to find a way to get the, the rust off and then redo it. But the problem is that isn't our problem. It's not just superficial. I mean, what's wrong with us is like a virus that goes right down into our genes. You and I need to be changed from the inside out. So I, 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 the question that, that those who follow Jesus and who've read these texts, and we know that Jesus has come to remake our lives into what they were meant to be. The question we've always had, and I've written it up here, how is he going to do it? How is Jesus going to bring about this total shift in all of our lives, freeing us from this rule of, of living for ourselves? That's our natural tendency. Or living the way everybody else in the world is living into the liberating rule of God, where we're set free to live the way God created us to live. I'm telling you, if you and I had been given that big a mission, I think we would choose to do it the way the hare did, don't you think? We'd, we'd say, I've got to go as fast as I can and reach as many people as possible. We've got to have the greatest impact on the greatest number in as fast a time as possible. And the Bible does call us to action. I don't know if you noticed this, Kelly read. I wanted to read that whole section. In Mark chapter 6, uh, Jesus, it wasn't just that he did stuff. 
he was changing the lives of his 12 disciples. And even as he was changing them, he sent them out to do what he did. So, so you know, you and I are called to get involved in, in what God is doing. And so they do it. Uh, they go out and, and actually they have some success. You know, you can see verses 12 and 13. People are getting healed and demons are getting cast out. And so some good things are happening. And then there's some opposition. Uh, so you'll have to read the rest of what Kelly didn't read. Verses 14 to 29, the political powers rise up and King Herod puts to death uh, the forerunner of, of Jesus, beheads John the Baptist. We didn't want to put that, did we, Jeff, on our children's Sunday? But uh, so Jeff, Pastor Jeff Leo uh, calls this kingdoms in conflict. So the kingdom of God is breaking in to change our lives, but other powers rise up against it. And yet, when you get to verse 30, where are we going to come today? When you get there, still things are going well. They've been healing people. They report this back. They're, they're all excited and the crowds are coming around to see them. And I'll tell you the way most of us would think, especially if you've been in business. We, we often think when things are going well, then we have to work harder. Right? Got to ride the wave. It's almost like, Jesus, we've got a big mission here to do. And now look at all these crowds coming. We've got it. We've got we're not going to call off the dogs today. We've got to go faster than we've ever gone. That's how we think, right? And yet Jesus chooses to do something different. It's countercultural. It's counterintuitive. Jesus says, no, we're going to stop. Because you've got to be with me. And I want to be with you. We're not going to... This is a big task. And like the, the tortoise knew... It's got to go deep in us. The things that have to change about us aren't going to change if we're just involved in endless activity. Come away with me by yourselves to a quiet place. And then we'll go back to the work. I'll tell you, this doesn't seem like it's going to be very successful. Can you imagine Black Friday, a boss coming in and saying, look at all these people, let's shut the store. That's just not the way we think. Jesus has said, though, that that's the way it's going to work. And it is the, the mission of, of Jesus is working. You know that's true, don't you? Do you know how we know? Because we're here. We're here. Think about it. How did that happen? That it started with these 12 insignificant men and it's reached all the way here to California. It's because Jesus knew what he was doing. And what he talked about there is something you and I still need to learn. Jesus has chosen to change the world starting with one life at a time. One life at a time. And as he's changing us, sending us out to be involved in people's lives. And sometimes the people that he chooses to do his work seem in the eyes of the world to be so insignificant. The 12 that he chose, I wouldn't have chosen. Their, their resumes didn't look all that great. Their lives were messed up. They had little money. They had little education. They had almost no, uh, no clout at all. And yet Jesus says, this is what we're going to do. And even with them, he says, it's going to go deep. Come away with me by yourselves. And actually what happens in Mark 6, what we'll stop here, so I'm going to ask you to go home and read it when you get home, is from verses 30 to 56, Jesus takes kind of three episodes to teach three lessons about how he's going to do his work deep in our lives and then send us out. So we're only going to be looking at the first of them today. And here's the lesson I want you to grab hold of. 
It's a lesson that if our lives are going to be changed, it's a lesson about life's most important relationship. I put it as simply as I can, that we who are disciples, you and I have to learn to spend time with Jesus. Pretty simple message, don't you think? Easier up here than down here. So so let's go at it. Look at verse 30 with me one more time. So after all the success with opposition, the apostles gathered around Jesus. Okay, they reported to him all that they had done, all that they had taught. But then, because so many people were coming and going that they didn't even have a chance to eat, Jesus said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Now, to me, this is a fascinating piece of information. You know, and I, I, you've heard me enough times, those of you who come, I often try to put myself into the shoes of the people who are there. You know, when I read about these disciples, you know what I think of? I think about us as children sometimes, when for the first time, maybe you can remember this, that a job that your father or your mother did, important job, that finally they give you the chance to go out and do it yourself. And, and, and then you do it. That's the way I I almost feel like when I read about these disciples. They come back and say, look what we did, Jesus. Can you believe it? Just like you have done, we've we've healed the sick, we've we've cast out demons, we've furthered the gospel message. Look what we've done, Jesus. So let's keep going. But, But Jesus saw them and knew what they needed more than they knew themselves. And he saw they needed to stop. So I want to think about that. How is it that you and I are active and yet find these times? Stopping and being with Jesus, going out and serving Jesus. How how does this happen? So I want to start by thinking about two problems. It'll get more positive later, so don't leave too soon. But two problems that we have in our walk with Jesus, our work with God, that often make it so that we need to stop. And and I've called them perfectionism and something related to it, self-focus. Perfectionism. Um, Do you know what that is? I talk about it quite often because it's so prevalent in our days. There are people who, um, anytime you have to stop for a few moments, you almost feel guilty. So sometimes we can hardly stop at all. That it, when we have stopped, suddenly we get nervous almost and say, wait, 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 there's something else I've got to do, and we rush out to, to do it. Now, um, there are many things that can lead to that. And just the one I want us to to bore down on is this matter of perfectionism. That inner sense that some of us have had since childhood that just makes us feel like we always have to perform. That that we always have to be successful. Otherwise, people won't accept us. Some of us have lived almost our whole lives really wondering if even our families uh, accept us. So we really try to work hard to make sure that, that we are accepted. Sometimes we wonder if our parents have ever accepted. So it creates in us this deep sense, I've got to always be working. I've always got to be performing to earn their acceptance and their love. Do you know what I'm talking about when I say that? So we go out there and work so hard, and then at the end we think, well, I've got to keep doing it. And we, we just never stop. And so you come to church then. When that's the way that we think. And and I get up here and I I preach to you that you and I are loved with an everlasting love. That that even before we have done anything, while we were sinners, God already loved us. 
that, that, he, that Jesus died for us before we'd ever tried to earn it, that we don't earn his acceptance. I, I read to us the very first set of messages, if you're visiting, that I ever did is in Ephesians 1. Well, it takes us back and says, even before God created the world in eternity past, God had an eternal plan and you and I were in it. That he wanted to adopt us into his family. Even before we'd ever lived, he somehow knew about us and he wanted us in his family. And that before we'd earned any acceptance because we can't, he is ready to lavish his love on us. Shown through the blood of Jesus Christ. Does this make sense to you? And so you see that it's just so counter everything we've ever experienced. That that God says, my great joy, the pleasure that I have, is knowing that you are going to be in my family. And the pleasure that God gets when we simply stop and spend time with him. I even think the pleasure God gets when you and I have gathered here as a part of his family. The joy. Parents, have you ever had just the pleasure of having your kids home? Isn't that joy in that? I mean, usually. Usually. For God, it's always. For God, it's always. And so I've just written down the problem this way. So some of us work and work and work. Wanting to please people. Failing to realize that the people we want to please might rather spend time with us than having us do something for them. Now, that's not always true of people. But what I want to tell you is it's true of Jesus. He loves to spend time with us. When we do, it brings him great joy. And when we do, our lives begin to be transformed. So that's the first problem. And it is a problem. I've talked to you about this. I think last message I did, this sense of perfectionism has led to so many problems in our world. Um, when I was the head of a college, eating disorders almost always go back to this, never feeling accepted. This phenomenon now of cutting, of self-mutilation it goes to this. So much severe depression that we wrestle with goes to this. So it is a problem. Uh, the second problem is not different from it. I call it self-focus because I couldn't find anything. It's almost the opposite side because therapists and psychologists see the same problem that I'm talking to you about, of perfectionism. And so, but the answer that's given in our society is this. So instead of doing things for other people, just do things for yourself. Don't have your life revolve around other people. Have your life revolve around yourself. You know I'm going to be preaching about that in just, just a minute. Because I'll tell you, if we're living for others, that's a bad God. But if we're living for ourselves, we're not much better gods than living for others, right? That God never created us for that reason. And this notion that we've just got to do things for ourselves and that's, has made it so that even when the pastor says, sometimes you've got to stop and rest, we take that, okay, that means I can, well, I can live for myself. I just want to go out and spend more time with video games and more time watching television, more time going out drinking, whatever it is. But really what Jesus is saying is what we need is not to focus more on ourselves, but to spend more time with him. Uh, I'm so convinced that when we turn our lives inward more and more, where that ends up is just emptiness. Matthias Eliot called it, we become hollow men, hollow people. Charles Williams, the great British author, good friend of C.S. Lewis and Tolkien, 
He said, when this, he wrote a whole book, it's almost impossible to understand this book, but still the point is so clear. He said, when we turn inward and live for ourselves, it is, and the title of his book is, it is a descent into hell. So that can't be the answer, just doing something for myself. So here's what I've written for you. So Jesus' solution to our performance orientation, to our exhausting ways of life, and then also to our empty pursuit of joy through self-centered living is to spend time with him. To be aware of his presence. To bask in his love for us. And then to be able to go out and find joy in serving him. And so that brings me to the second part of my message. I call it the command. Find rest in Jesus. Jesus is telling us that, yes, you and I have this privilege of having our lives count. We are to go out and serve him sacrificially and tell other people about him like the disciples did in verses 6 to 13. But not in such a way that our activity is earning his favor. He already loves us. Not in the ways that we take over and we are the ones who determine how to go forward. Or or that even the work that we do, that, that his mission is dependent upon our efforts. No, no, no. Here's what it is. Jesus knows that you and I have been made in such a way that we need to stop regularly just from activity. Even important ministry activity. I'm looking for pastors now. (laughs) Even that. Just to be with him. I read this story. I don't know if I read this. and I find these disciples had been involved in great ministry, evangelistic ministry. It was so important. It had been exciting. But as is often the case, success just often makes us work harder. And the way I've written it down when I read this is success almost always generates stomach problems. Sometimes you just get ulcers, you know, your stomach feels turned because I've got to do more and more. Sometimes like they, they just got hungry. And we all know this well. We get so busy in our families now we don't even stop to eat together, right? And I know it so well even in my life as your pastor. I hate to admit this, but as I read this, I thought, oh, my lunches aren't even times when I stop and spend time. My lunches become business meetings because I don't want them to be unproductive. Anybody else find that happening? Doesn't seem like that's going to be very fruitful for us. I'm telling you, there's nothing spiritual just about being busier and, and having ever increasing stress levels. It just leads to these things like ulcers and high blood pressures and. I've been a follower of Jesus, been in the church a long time, and I've heard almost piously sometimes people saying when they find out a Christian leader burns out or somebody who's been working so hard in the church just says, I can't do it anymore. They say, oh, well, they burnt out for God. Isn't that wonderful? I don't think God would find that all that wonderful. He's, he's made us in his image, right? These, these bodies, this is the temple, the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, Self-destruction isn't what God meant for us. And so from, from the earliest parts of Scripture on, God, who has unlimited power, uh, worked six days and stopped one. And then when he gave us the Ten Commandments, he embedded right in it this pattern of life. Yes, six days be productive. Work, that's important. That's, that's a beautiful thing when we get to do so. But one day, Stop. And be with the Lord one day, separate from the others, holy to the Lord. And I see Jesus embedding that here. You've been working, you've been so active, let's stop. So that, so that you can be 
with me. I'll tell you, the world throughout the history of the church has been very effective in making martyrs of Jesus' followers. We don't need to make martyrs of ourselves. Just, just mark it down. Just, just mark it down. You know the story of Mary and Martha. Um, Martha was just constantly working. Where was her sister Mary? You know, you know the story, don't you? Sitting there at the feet of Jesus. Jesus, tell her to come and work. I love it. Martha, Martha. It sits twice. Kind of like Marsha, Marsha. So you can always. Martha, Martha. She's chosen the better. And you know what the better is? To make sure that we spend some time with Jesus. Such a powerful lesson that Jesus wants to make sure that you and I build into our lives uh, time with him. Now, finally, with the time, um, the clues. How do you do it? How do you do it? And I'll just give you these three words. Jesus, that doesn't surprise you. Uh, Christian community and quietness. So let's look at what he said there in verse 31. First, Jesus said, come with me. So they needed food. He's going to make sure they got that. But they needed even more to be with Jesus. They needed to be able to stop and rest in the fact that Jesus had called them, that he wanted them, that he would be with them. So whether they would have success in the moment or not, it was dependent upon him. You see, that's what we have to learn. I have to learn that as your pastor all the time. That whether nobody shows up or this place is absolutely packed, if I'm faithful to being with him and to delivering his word, that that he's the one. He's the one who says, I'm the one responsible for this. You just be faithful to me. So um, when will you and I become discouraged or sometimes we think the biggest thing we need is a vacation to get strengthened. And we do sometimes need vacations. I love them. But it's never a vacation from Jesus. In fact, that vacation sometimes has we have to pull away from one another to make sure that we know that he is there. And when we spend time and what I love to do, and I love to read the Gospels, that's why I love to preach through them for you. Have you noticed how much time we spend there in in these last five years? I love to read about Jesus again, because when I spend time with him, I see who he is. What what I I see he's God. So nothing goes beyond his capability. I do see he's holy. So that means I've got to change these areas of my life that are messed up and say, will you forgive me? And he does. And commit myself to to walking for him. You you know that. But I also see that he loves me and wants to spend time with me. And I go away from that time with him. Ready to come and be with you again. Really do. That's the first thing. We need to make sure that we have time to be with him. Now the second thing is. That so much of that being with him is also together with one another, with other followers of Jesus in our world. So that do you notice the way he puts it? Come away with me by yourselves. Uh, For those of you who are early enough for the beginning of the service, Jeremy pointed this out. (laughs) Isn't it interesting the way he puts it? Come away with me. It looks like it's just me and Jesus. But then it's plural by yourselves. We're going to do this together. So there's huge value in us being alone with Jesus But what he's really saying here is there is for our own growth. One of the most beautiful things is when we're together with him 
with other believers. Here at Lake Avenue Church, we have said we have three essential connections for our growing and becoming like Christ, for him making things right. We say it's worshiping together in the larger venue. It's community, smaller groups, your Sunday school classes, your small groups. And the last is service. You know, we're we're to breathe in through worship and, and community together so that we can go and breathe out and serve him. That's what he said. So in this breathing in... Uh, A part of it is finding a smaller group of people. And if you've never found one, at the end of the service, I want to direct you over to that connect section over there. uh, Because we'll help you find a smaller group. And I'll tell you, it's such a beautiful thing. When you find a small group where you can just open up your life, it's such a wonderful thing. uh, In terms of uh, the encouragement and sometimes the correction we receive, you just know you're not alone. Any amens? Anybody experienced that in a small group? It's just one of the most beautiful things if you can find that, and we'll help you to find that. But I want to tell you this, too, that what we're doing right now is such an important part. Come away with me by yourselves. One of my real prayers is that this is what uh, our, our worship services will be, that you'll leave here and you'll be ready to, to live for God and know that God goes with you wherever you go. But sometimes during the week... Oh, you get your eyes off God, right? And sometimes other things seem to be much more pressing and even more powerful than God. The problems in our family, the problems with my marriage, the problems with my money, all these things, don't they? Uh, Problems with school, I've got these papers and these tests. uh, All these things become, and they, they just seem to be the biggest thing and we can hardly even think about God. When we come to church together, here's what I'm praying, it will be a worship service. By worship, I mean God is front and center. So that we've been looking at all this other stuff all week, and now we put our eyes upon God and we see who He is together. Together. And then we say, okay, He is bigger than that. I pray that happens every time you come. I pray that the times you least feel like going to church, you'll come. So that you can say, ah, oh, God, you are there. And you're big enough for what I face. Did you know that your ministry council tried to just obey this text? We do that. The ministry council, for those of you who are new, uh, is the elected spiritual leadership of the church. And so our associate pastors and elected leaders came together and we went to retreat. Now, you know, if any of you have ever been to a retreat, sometimes retreats are so heavily planned that they don't feel like a retreat at all. They feel like an advance. You come back tireder than when you went, right? Okay, so we went to retreat, and your pastor and others had some pretty much advanced things on our minds. And then Kathy Holloman, who's sitting here in this service, to make sure that I get this right, right, Kathy? And Pastor Roger Bosch said, wait, we've got to stop and be with the Lord. And so we did. We spent a lot of time just with the Lord. On the next day, we gathered, and Jeremy Rose was leading us in a worship time. We'd scheduled 45 minutes, that's all. And Jeremy said, no, God wants to do something. He made us stop. We went two or three times longer than that, singing, seeking the Lord together. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, I feel like the Lord spoke to us. What did he say? I want to put up here what we came home with, and I'll read it to you. Um, We are sent ones. Intergenerationally. Say that ten times real fast. Intergenerationally. Worshiping in unity. Intergenerationally. Learning in community. 
intergenerationally progressing toward completion in Christ, intergenerationally serving God's mission. Now, when I read that, I can imagine you saying, uh, you went away all the time and you needed God to tell you that. That's pretty obvious, isn't it? Does that seem obvious to you that that's what's to happen in a church? And yet I'll tell you, I feel like it's countercultural. Why do I say that? Here's what I feel like the Lord is saying to us, and I want you to think about it. He said, instead of church being a place where we say, I want to get something out of it, it's all about me. We want us all to be ourselves, like these disciples, as those God sends. You see, there's been a, a thing of the American church for a long time, 30 or 40 years, that has been market-driven, consumer-driven. We've been told to go out and find out what people want in the church. Give people what they want, and your church will get to be big. But what happens when you start that way is it gets to be all about self. It's not a worship service at all. We come in and think, did I like that or not? And it just takes us deeper, deeper down into our troubles rather than casting our eyes to the Lord. No, no, no. We come together to meet with him, to know that he's there so that we can be sent and our lives can count to his glory. It's been so much. The American church is a place where pretty much we've said, well, what do you want? Uh, We'll just write a big enough check and we'll, we'll uh, pay for people to do it and give what you want. But then it becomes self-centered instead of God-centered. And that's empty. I, I want us all to come and know that we're sent once. And I've got to get strengthened here today. Because the things I want to face at work and my family and in my neighborhood and my school, they're going to be hard. And I need to know that God is there. We want to be our as sent ones. See, I, you see, this is big, I think. It means a different way of looking at church. And this intergenerational part, there's so many things that divide the church in our world. Sometimes it's skin color. Sometimes it's educational levels. Sometimes it's the amount of money that we have. There are things that divide people. But we came to see that maybe the biggest thing dividing the American church now is generations, age differences. It often comes out through worship style or music taste. But we know that that's not what the church is supposed to be. We need one another. And I'll tell you, I think one of the greatest gifts that God has given us here at Lake Avenue Church, kind of look around you without... Do you know there are a lot of people in this church family who have walked with Jesus for a long time? There are people in this church who have walked with Jesus for 60, 70, 80 plus years. Did you know that? That is a gift Sometimes in our youth-oriented world, we look around and say, oh, there are a lot of older people. But in the church, we say, hallelujah. But, but that means we've got to get into one another's lives and find out how we can actually worship together and, and learn from one another. We need mentors working with younger people, finding ways intergenerationally. You see what, what we believe? That wall comes down. There are churches where you have only older people. There are churches that, where you have only... 20-somethings people. There are churches where you have people who've walked with Jesus a long time, and you have churches where you have brand new people walking with the Lord. We've, we have it all. New believers, younger believers, and some of us who've known... Brothers and sisters, we have an opportunity to be a place where the work of God can go deep. And we ask you to walk with us. We ask you to walk with us. We may need some of us to be willing to be mentors and to have coffee with younger believers because we are sent ones.
So come away with me by yourselves, community. And finally, Jesus says, come away with me by yourselves to a quiet place. And really, he says, to a desert place. What, he, what he's talking about, our, our translations don't always get it, takes us back to the book of Exodus, where after this great, great victory of God, you know, he got them through the Red Sea, got them out of slavery. They didn't know Jehovah very well. On all those years in Egypt, they hadn't gotten to know him. And in the desert, in the wilderness, they needed to know that God was there, always there. Do you remember what happened? In the daytime, they could see the pillar of uh, cloud by day. And at nighttime, it was a pillar of fire. They knew that God was always there. So they needed these times to look and to know that wherever they were, God was there. Brothers and sisters, you and I need that. Those times where we pull aside in quietness. And know that God is with us. They needed away from the hustle and bustle of the crowds of Egypt to learn that God was always with them and sufficient for anything. And here's what I wrote down. And I think we need time away from the texting and Facebook messages that always pop up on our phones. Sometimes from the sound of traffic. Sometimes from the clanking of machinery. Sometimes from the buzz of conversation, the screaming of the children, or of the parents. These things add stress to our lives. Sometimes we need to pull away to a quiet place and know that God is there. Now the reality of this, sometimes it's hard to find a quiet place. I'm looking out for young moms. Isn't that true? All right. I just want you to see when you read this text that it was hard for them to find a quiet place, too. It was. They went across the lake. They were looking for that place of solitude. And all the people came running around. It looks like the only quiet place they had was on the boat while it was rocking. And I read that and I say, that's the way life is. But they had those moments with Jesus. And they were enough to strengthen them for the huge challenges ahead. And even if you only have 15 seconds, moms, even if the only time alone is while you're drying your hair, (laughs) take those moments and know that he is with you and he is sufficient for whatever you face. Uh, Reading this text has made me uh, change some things in my own life. One of the things Chris and I did was I bought a painting just a few weeks ago. It was a painting by Susan Savage. She's a a wonderful painter on faculty at Westmont College. She does many of her paintings have these bowls, which are symbols of of God's presence, symbols of the reality of God. And uh, one of her newest ones is this one. It's called Hallowed. If you look at that bowl symbolizing God's presence, you can see inside the reflections of something in the bowl. Do you see that? It's kind of abstract. And yet I had some friends from Beijing with me last week and I asked the high school son, I said, what do you see? He said, it looks to me like a subway. Do you see that? I don't know if you'd see it well enough. It looks to me like a subway. Have you ever been in a subway in Beijing? Man, oh man, is that crowded. Or, or in Tokyo. I remember when I was in a, a subway in Tokyo, I got in that thing and after it was more crowded than any place I'd ever been. And then they had people shove other people in there. Sitting there. And as you look at that painting, you see it. The light of God breaking into the busiest space. 
So, so what Susan, as I read it, what Susan is saying is that when we know that God is there, every time and every space becomes hallowed. And it makes it so that we can handle whatever this world throws at us. We can find that he is a refuge and a strength and a very present help in every situation. Here's what I'd like us to do. For those of you who can, will you pull out the kneelers in front of you? I'd like our musicians to come back again. If you can't pull out the kneelers, just close your eyes and bow your heads for just a moment. Maybe this will be our 15 minutes, seconds. of being alone with Jesus by ourselves. Will you take time first simply to ask God to make himself real to you? To break into all the things you're thinking about and acknowledge that God is here and who he is. Before you even think about all the things you've done wrong, think about everything right about him. Think about the fact that he wants you to be in his presence. Breathe deeply in his presence. And now ask God to bring one or two things to mind might be a huge uh, challenge that you are facing. It's bigger than you are. Give it to him. It's not bigger than he is. Or think about an area of your life that just doesn't seem that it's getting any better. You still feel trapped by a thought life words, the way you speak, broken relationship. Entrust that to Him. Oh, our Father, it's such a short time for us to be with you by ourselves. And yet, Father, I pray that you will use these few seconds to make us ready for whatever this next week holds for us. This we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. I want to ask our musicians to sing a verse of a song, and then I want us to join in singing it with them, to know that it's well with our soul when God is present.